while tonight we find ourselves remembering what Jesus did on the cross. It's humbling. It's humbling to to look at the man who loved us so much. We all know that John 3.16. We've heard it. But do we live it every day? Do we truly believe it fully and completely that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. This is the truth that we celebrate. And it came at a cost. It came at a cost for Jesus. It cost him everything, his life. We take a look at this tonight. You guys remember on Wednesday night, we talked about Jesus having his last supper with his disciples and how he was pouring into them this passionate moment. He was loving on them and preparing them to have this life where he was going to leave for some time. He was preparing them to to be completely disturbed because they thought that Jesus was here on this earth to reign as king here and now. But Jesus came to die on the cross. And the disciples, they they didn't quite understand this. So Jesus was pouring into them at the Last Supper. He explained to them in that those times of fellowship, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He explained to them that he was going to send the Holy Spirit. But they didn't understand these things. So Jesus went with his disciples. Satan had put it in the heart of Judas to betray him. Satan had entered Judas. And Satan left and went to the Pharisees and to the Jewish guards and sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus and his disciples, they travel to the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they're going there, Jesus would have been explaining to them that he was the true vine, that if you abide in him, you're going to bear much fruit. And those who do not abide in Jesus Christ are cast away into the fire. And there in the garden, he would be with his disciples to explain to them that it was the time for prayer. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And indeed, the spirit was willing, but their flesh was weak. And so he came to them and he would find them asleep. And then he would leave them. And when he would leave, he would go into the prayer mode. He would go before his father, his Abba father, his daddy father. And he said, Father, if there's any other way that this can be done, let it be. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. And as he was there in the garden praying this prayer, he was full of sorrow and grief, and fear. And he began to to sweat drops of blood, great drops of blood onto the ground from the stress that was upon him. He knew the pain that he was about to endure. He knew the, the physicality of what the crucifixion was. And he also knew what he was about to experience by allowing all the sin to come upon him and to be separated from his father. To have the judgment of the world placed on him 
So he prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then Judas came with the guards. And Jesus saw, seeing him coming, said, look, my betrayer is at hand. And Judas approaches Jesus and he kisses him on the cheek to let the guards know this is who Jesus is right here, the man whom I kiss. And he kissed him with this passionate kiss. And Jesus asked him, Judas, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And the guards took him. And his disciples in fear, they fled, all of them. And then the guards took him. And in an illegal trial, in the middle of the night, which was not lawful for the Jews to do. They took him and they charged him. They say, if you're the, the son of God, just tell us plainly. And Jesus said, you've said it. And you will see the son of man approaching on the clouds at the right hand of God. And they tore their clothes and they said, blasphemy. And they began to put a bag on his head. And then they beat him and said, prophesy, who hit you? And Jesus, unable to, to flinch from the blows because he couldn't see where they were coming from, would take on the full force of every hammer, every blow that hit him. The Bible teaches us that he was marred so that we couldn't even tell that he was a human. And from there, they led him. They led him to the cross. Luke documents this in Luke 23, verses 26 through 49, we're going to read. It says, Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. So Jesus, full of just so much stress and physical just loss of empowerment, is unable to carry the cross all the way. So they asked Simon, the Cyrenian, to help him to carry the cross. Now Simon, in other Gospels, he's mentioned to be the father of Alexander and Rufus. And many believe that this Simon, after witnessing Jesus' passion, would end up being there in the early church to convert many in Cyrenian. In verse 27, and a great multitude of the people followed him, and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? You see, previously, on Palm Sunday, the crowds and the multitudes, they gathered around Jesus to worship his coming into Jerusalem. They sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he, son of David, who comes in the name of the Lord. And there was a joyous celebration. And now those same people, many of them had turned. Many of them had gathered as a multitude before Pilate. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. A complete change of heart. 
Their hearts were hardened. And now there are these daughters of Jerusalem who are mourning Jesus. And they probably didn't understand what was happening. They believed this was their king. And now they see him being led to die on the cross. Even Simon, the man who helped him carry the cross. Imagine his dismay being labeled as the man who is carrying the cross of a criminal. I'm sure there had to be maybe a, a moment of, of real questioning of what this act was about to do in his life and how people may have viewed him. How do people view us when we pick up our cross daily? Are we afraid of what people are going to think when they see us imitating Christ? Are we so concerned of our, our figure that we don't fully commit to the Lord? Far be that from us. May we be Christians who are on fire for the Lord, who are excited to share our faith with our friends, with our coworkers. May we be Christians who love our family so much that we don't care how we look. The only time we should care how we look is when it's in relation to God. You see, if there's a selfish idolatry, that needs to be rid of. But we should care to be a witness and example to Christ, for Christ. Now, as Jesus is seeing these daughters of Jerusalem, he tells them, hey, look, be careful. Because there's going to come a time when you're going to wish that the mountains were falling on you, that it would be better if you didn't have kids in this time. And he's prophesying to them. Many times in the Bible, there's a, a dual prophecy. In this prophetic word of Jesus Christ, he's referring to two things right here. The first would be the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 when Titus would come with his army and destroy Jerusalem. And again, in the future, referring to the Great Tribulation. Are we seeing that now? Are we seeing the birth pangs happening in our world? Is now such a, a, a real time of Bible prophecy coming to life where we're beginning to see wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and famine and earthquakes in various places just as Jesus said. And we know that God's word never fails. In verse 32, There were also others, two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. You see, here we're given the full picture now where Jesus is there in the middle of two criminals led to be put to death. This word for Calvary, it means skull. They also call it Golgotha. See, Jesus went down to the depths of where sin leads. He was right there in the midst of these thieves. He was right there in the midst of liars, right there in the midst of adulterers, of the child molesters, of rapists, of murderers, and he was treated the same when he was completely innocent. And as they led him to be put to death in this crucifixion, you have to understand 
what Jesus was experiencing physically. In John chapter 19, it tells of the scourging of Jesus. You don't need to turn there, but in John 19, verse 1 and 2, it says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. This scourging. The scourging was done with the whip known as the cat of nine tails. The reason why they used this cat of nine tails was so that they can get a confession out of a prisoner. You see, at the end of this cat of nine tails, this whip with these leashes on it would have hooks and nails and glass and animals' teeth. So that as the executioner would whip the cable into its victim, it would wrap around that victim, and then when the executioner would rip it off, the flesh in chunks would come flying off that victim. Now for Jesus, since he had nothing to confess, the lashes would have increased harder and harder. All he had to do was stop and say, I'm guilty. But he wouldn't lie. And he took on the full blow, the full pain. So much so that he was whipped 39 times. The whipping alone would have killed most of its victims. So Jesus was ripped open. And then the soldiers, in this wicked twist, they took a thorn, this bush of thorns. You see, thorns were given as a curse from Adam and Eve to the earth. God said thorns will grow up out of the ground now because you guys have sinned. And that curse was made into a crown. And the King of kings and Lord of lords, which should be crowned with glory, was crowned with our very curse on his head. And these thorns, these Palestinian thorns, they could have been... uh, so long in the inches and they mocked Jesus after placing this on him it would be embedded into his skull and then they beat him and it was in this condition that Jesus had to carry the cross for our sins it says in verse 34 Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. The passion that Jesus had. He's there nailed to the cross now, where they would have placed this nail right into the nerve of his hand and the shocking pains that would have flown through his entire body like firecrackers. They would have placed him on this wooden cross and lifted him up, so much so that the very weight of his body would have been weighing him down, suffocating him. In order to breathe, he would have to push up off the cross to gasp for air and then bring that weight back down where he'd be hanging. And the process continued over and over, so much so that these victims, their arms, the sockets would come out. 
and they'd be hanging there. It's a miracle that God has preserved him to this point. And there, at the most excruciating pain, Jesus says this about us, about these men, about these women. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, these people, they didn't, they were ignorant. Many of them. They didn't fully understand what was happening. And then they take his robe his very garments, and they gamble over them, making Jesus into merchandise, turning Jesus into a profit for themselves, a gain, financial gain. Far be that from us. Far be that from Christians to turn Jesus into a means of own selfish gain. If you were to go to Israel today and go right outside the Garden of Gethsemane, right where Jesus prayed, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Right out of that garden, there are men and women who do not believe in Jesus. And they sell all these wooden trinkets of who Jesus is and what he did because they know that if they stand there at that place, at that time, and they sell Jesus' face on a wooden stamp that they'll make money. And they use the name of Jesus for their own profit, and they don't even believe in him. Do we do that in our own life? Are we using Jesus as just a way to gain financial success, to gain worldly success, not considering what Jesus wants for our own life? Do we keep coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, give me this. Give me the ministry, Lord. Jesus, give me the gifts. Give me the relationship. Give me the job. Give me the success in life. And do we forget to say, Jesus, what do you want of me? What are you calling me to do, Jesus? Far be that from us. In verse 35. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. You see, they were right that he did save others, for that was his mission. But he didn't come here to save himself. Is that what we look out for ourselves? Are we constantly trying to save ourselves from trial? Are we constantly trying to put ourselves in a place where we're comfortable because we try to save ourselves? Let the self die. When God begins to work in your heart. When God begins to do heart surgery on you, a lot of times his word brings a pain, but it's a good pain. That pain is the death to self. When God has you on the operating table, don't take yourself off of that operating table. Let him do his work. Let him have his complete work in you. Many times we don't understand what he's doing. But God is creating and molding and shaping you in a way that we ourselves can't do. 
God is building your character. He's building your patience. He's building your hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. He's building your love. You see, Jesus didn't come here to save himself. It says in 36, the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine. In other gospels, it records how they would try to give him this anesthesia. But Jesus wouldn't receive it. He allowed himself to stay on that cross and to take on the full burden. You see, he could have saved himself. But he was obedient to the will of the Father. 37. And saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. You see here, the whole world mocked Jesus. It was written in all these languages so that all can see. This is the fake king, the world were saying. This is craziness. This is so weird. You don't want to be this way. You don't want to follow him. Look what happens to his followers. And we look at the people who did this to Jesus. We say, well, the Romans crucified him, or it was the Jews who crucified them. No, it was you and I. It was the whole world. Jesus died on the cross for you personally. You listening now. Jesus died on the cross for you. When God was setting the whole world in order, God knowing everything, knowing all knowledge of the beginning and the end, he saw the entire world. He saw Adam and Eve. He knew they were going to sin. And he saw the terrible atrocities of this world, the holocausts, the rapes, the plagues, the, the, the sorrowness, the brokenness, the adultery, the murders, the kidnappings. He saw all of that. And through all of that evil and wickedness, Jesus saw you. Jesus saw you and loved you so much that he said, you know what? They're worth it because I love them so much. I'm going to send my only son to die on the cross for them. And it was for his glory. So because of that, God and, and Jesus, when they were there creating everything, they said, let it be. And now us, the, the believers, sometimes we don't want to accept that. We say, no, that, that, that doesn't make sense we don't want God's grace that way. We want to earn God's grace. We want to work for it. Because it takes away our pride when we say, okay, God, I accept what you've done for me. It's a beautiful thing to allow God's grace to fill your heart and mind. So we can know that there's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you any less. And there's nothing that you can do that's going to make God love you more. There's no works in this. It's a relationship with God. God's love for you is eternal. Now, you can choose to not receive his love. You can choose because he gives you your own choice and free will. You can choose to walk away and reject it. And that's the decision that every Christian has to make every single day of their life. 
This message is not just for somebody who is not a believer. This message is for you. What are you going to do when you wake up in the morning? Are you going to first think of the Lord? Are you going to think of yourself? We have those decisions to make. Again, they said in verse 37, and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus taking our place on the cross. The one thief recognizing what Jesus was doing. Recognizing that all have fallen short of God. That all have sinned except this man, Jesus. Do you remember Barabbas? Where after they had scourged Jesus, Pilate every year would get to offer the Jews one captive free, one prisoner free. And Pilate, seeking for a way to save Jesus' life, brought out Barabbas, a murderer. And he offered the Jews the choice. Every year I get to set one man free. Will you take Barabbas, this murderer, or Jesus? And then the crowd, incited by the leaders, said, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas, crucify him. And Barabbas was a wicked man, as we all are. And it was in Pilate's decision. He told Jesus, he said, don't you know I, I have the power to kill you? He said, what will I do with you, the Christ? And that's the question that's for us today. You see, Pilate wasn't condemning Jesus. He was condemning himself. The decision that Pilate was going to make would set his eternity in order. And that's the decision that we have to make. It says in verse 42, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So this is what's offered for us today. This is what's offered for every believer. That when we say, God, remember me, he promises us his word. He promises us salvation. Have we forgotten that God never leaves us, that he never forsakes us? Is that your prayer now? Lord, remember me. This is the assurity that you can have that no matter what you've gotten through, no matter what you've done, no matter how deep, no matter how far, salvation is yours if you would just have faith in Jesus, the Messiah. We have this assurity that we will get to be in heaven with Christ, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. What then do we have to fear? Why are we so afraid? 
Why are we afraid of what man can do to us? Why are we afraid of what we can't see? Fear the Lord. And remember, He's the author of your salvation. In verse 44. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness all over the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. This is now the darkest hour. You see, it's in our darkest hour that Jesus comes. When all is lost, when, when there's no more hope in, in your sin, when there's no more joy in this life, when you're hurting, when you're, when you're broken, when you're completely destitute of all hope, Jesus can be there. He is there. And all we need to do is just open ourselves up to him in that moment. It's Jesus coming down when it seems like all hope is lost. The Savior enters in. This happened in my own life. When I was so far gone, when I felt that there was no hope for me, when I felt I had committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that I was on a mission to hell now, it was in that darkest moment when I was the most depressed, the furthest away from God. It was there that I was broken. It was there when I humbly said, okay, God, I've got nothing left. For some of you listening tonight, Jesus offers you a relationship with him before you have to be completely broken. The Bible teaches us that we can either fall on the rock or be, and be broken or the rock, the giant stone, will crush us into dust. And some of us, we have to get crushed. If you're hard-headed, just fall on the rock and be broken. If you're constantly anxious and trying to maneuver your way through life and just plan on, on bringing your own success in this life, give that up and give it to God. Let Him guide you. His plan is best. It says that the veil was torn in two. Now this veil, it would separate the most holy place and the priest from everyone else. And the veil now was torn in two, symbolizing that we can now enter into God's presence without works. This is the new covenant where we no longer have to work for our salvation anymore. So no matter when you fail, God is there to meet you. And there's going to be struggles in your life. There's going to be struggles that God takes away immediately, but there's also going to be struggles that he allows to remain in your life. Now, these struggles, you're walking with Jesus, you're in fellowship with him, and then you fall, you mess up. And it's in our nature, it's in our flesh to then say, I'm filthy, I don't, want to be near the Bible. I don't want to be in prayer. I don't want to be around Christians when we're in sin. But Jesus wants us to get right back up with him 
He's there saying, yes, I, I see. I know exactly what's going on in your life. But come on, let's keep going. And you keep fighting and you never stop. And you allow Jesus to have the victory because we ourselves, we can't do it. The relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church a week. It doesn't matter all the awesome mission trips you could go on. What matters is, is your relationship with Christ real? And that's a daily cross. Jesus said, all who desire to come after me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come and follow me and you will be my disciples. This is the offer that we have for us every day. And in verse 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So now Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, cries out to his Father. He says, I commit my spirit into your hands. Jesus could do this because he was God. You see, he gave up the ghost. You see, the centurions, when this happened, after this happened, they would, in order to make sure that their victim was killed, they went to Jesus with a spear. And they pierced him in the side, so much so that blood and water came flowing forth from him. And Jesus literally died of a broken heart. Jesus' heart breaks for us when we miss out on having fellowship with him. Jesus' heart breaks for us when we miss out on his perfect will in our life. Jesus' heart, it breaks for us when we simply are not in relationship with him. He longs for us. And he breathed his last, it said. It said, so when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who came together at that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts, and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So we see here the division. The division between those who believe and those who don't believe those who mock and beat their chests, and those who glorify God. We have a decision to make. Do we believe or do we not? In that moment, when you're faced with trial, when you're there in the fire, when you're faced with being righteous or being in sin, do we have faith or do we not believe that God has a plan? As believers, we can rest assured that God's promises, they're yes, that they are amen, that God works all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. See, Jesus at this point when he gave the ghost, I'm sure 
many of the, the forces of evil were thinking that this was the greatest victory. They were thinking, yes, we won, we did it. We put Jesus away. But little did they know, little did they know that that whole time Jesus had this in plan, God had this in mind to perfect a far greater, a far better work. Without going to the resurrection day, Jesus would enter in, in before we get to the resurrection day, Jesus would enter into Abraham's bosom and there he would meet all of the saints and he would take them and gather them and then he would set the captives free who would preach liberty to them. And for the, those who are here on this earth, this is the removal of sins. This is the taking away, the, the purging, the complete removal of sins. You see, what the Old Testament had for us was a covering of sins where the blood of goats and of animals could only cover our sins, but Jesus' perfect, spotless, holy blood placed upon our life, completely removes the sin. Where we are given now this glorious opportunity. No one else can forgive us for sins except Jesus. God himself. That's why Jesus came. So you, that you don't have to live in sin anymore. He can give you freedom. He can give you this call, this adventure of life that he has stored specifically for you. And you don't have to be in that struggle anymore. You can give it over to the Lord. You can be free and rest assured that he has a plan waiting for you in paradise that one day in heaven, there's going to be no more tears, no more suffering, no more viruses, no more plague, no more evilness, no more heartache, no more cancer, no more lost loved ones. And all those things that are, that are removed, all the evil are going to be replaced by God himself where Jesus is going to be the light of heaven. There will be no need for a son anymore. For God himself will illuminate heaven. And that God himself is going to be the most awesome experience physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, where that experience is going to be with you 100%, and you'll be able to learn and grow in heaven as God's infinite wisdom is poured into you moment in moment. Now you can take that truth and that reality and you can apply it to your heart, to your mind today in the situation that you're in now, that God, the ultimate, all-becoming one, can fill you completely tonight. For whatever trial you're in, God can meet you in the trial. That Jesus can meet you there. Jesus, the God-man, he told us of his attributes, of who he was. He said, I am the way. For those of you who have lost your way, for those of you who don't know what's up and down anymore, Jesus said, I am the way. For those of us who are lost in lies and deceit and we're unsure, he said, I am the truth. For those of us who hate our life here on this earth, Jesus said, I am the life. For those who desire a new life, a spiritual birth, Jesus said, I am the life and the resurrection. 
when it seems that all doors have closed in our life, Jesus said, I am the door. When it seems that we are without protection, when we need someone to watch over us, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. When we desire to be used by God, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Jesus, he poured out his love for us. He showed us that he's all that we need. He made our, met our great, greatest need. And there on the cross, we have victory. Tonight, this victory is available for you. I'm going to do a, a song of worship. But before I do that, if anyone listening tonight, if you desire to have Jesus meet you, to have that full relationship, to turn away from sin, to let go of sin, to walk away from it in your life, and to have a relationship with Jesus Christ to help you to do so, Just follow me with this prayer to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I ask that you would remove my sins I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Anoint me. Use me. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we say, Amen.